Well, hi everyone. I'm Carly Vina, and this is episode 326 of At Percussion. With me today are my wonderful co-hosts. Caleb Pickering is here. Hey, Caleb. Hey, how are you? Good. You good got snow. Yeah, it totally snowed today. We got snow Maybe. yesterday. It's bizarre. Maybe it's the same system. Rena, did you get snow in Boston? Uh, no, but yesterday was pretty warm here, so everything's <laughs> upside down, basically. <laughs> it's weird it's weird yeah we got maybe at least an inch today um the world is upside down uh ben charles is also here ben how's it going hey carly no snow here i'm doing well no snow no <laughs> and ksenia komjanovic how are you hey i'm well and the weather report from corpus christi is sunny and pretty humid <laughs> humid beautiful beach weather you're having down there. Well, if you are listening on release date, that means today is April 28th. So what happened in music history on April 28th, Ben? So first of all, breaking with traditional a bit, we're recording this on April 18th. And I just want to point out that today is Keiko Abe's 85th birthday. So happy birthday, Keiko Abe. But awesome. on April 28th in history and popular music in 1998, the Dave Matthews Band released their album Before These Crowded Streets, which debuted at number one, which ended the excuse me, Titanic soundtracks 16-week run at number one. <laughs> which uh, whenever I hear any Dave Matthews news, it always reminds me there's a great article from The Onion called Dave Matthews Not in That Into himself anymore so check that article out <laughs> also in popular music news in 1973 pink floyd released dark side of the moon uh or at least sorry i'm not sure if they released it then but it hit number one on the charts where it stayed for only one week but it ended up with a record for most weeks on the charts uh with over 880 weeks spent on the charts and that is non-consecutive so it wasn't like 880 weeks so at once. Um, and in 2003 apple launched the itunes store which carly reported on a while back how that revolutionized music but the big news for today is that Dvorak's Carnival Overture premiered and all of us know that famous tambourine excerpt and so in the the recent tradition I've made a, a, a trivia game called uh Dvorak or don't Dvorak this is I'm true out. Or false. <laughs> I'm out no we're not doing this podcast anymore. <laughs> Dvorak. And as a reminder, all these are true facts about someone, um, just not necessarily Dvorak. So uh, we have five facts today. The first fact is that Dvorak stole pencils. Is this Dvorak or don't Dvorak? Who doesn't steal pencils? I steal pencils every day. He was known for being a serial pencil stealer, though. Do we think yes or no? Give, give a thumbs up or down. I think no. So we got uh we got Ksenia and Caleb and uh Rena all thumbs up, Carly thumbs down. It is true. Uh so what? I found in an effort to calm Czech speakers in Austria who were upset over the banning of their language, Dvorak was appointed a member of the Austrian Senate. He came the first day in 1901, accepted the honor, stole all of the pencils at his desk because they were perfect for composing and never showed up again. Oh. <laughs> Fact number two, Dvorak received so many requests for locks of his hair that he bought a dog and sent fur clippings instead. Thumbs up or down? Dvorak or don't Dvorak? We got three thumbs down, Carly's thumbs up, everyone else's thumbs down. Uh, that, that is false. That no. is Franz Liszt. Franz Liszt received so many requests for locks of his hair that he bought a dog and sent fur clippings instead. And so if you're weird. not aware, weirdly, Franz Liszt is historically documented as being hot. So there you go. <laughs> the third one here uh, is that Dvorak was booked to travel on the Titanic's maiden voyage, but what? changed boats at the last minute. Thumbs up or down? Do Dvorak or don't Dvorak? have, right? So we got, let's see here, everyone's thumbs up except for Reina, and that is false the london symphony orchestra was booked to travel on the titanic's maiden voyage but changed boats oh. at the last minute number four out of five his hobbies included pigeon raising and watching trains and steamboats that's boring was he that boring yeah maybe that sounds right you're right so we got uh let's see here. oh can you just switch so we got all thumbs up except oh nope uh, <laughs> 
up or down, Ksenia? Ksenia's up, and everyone's up except for Reyna, and that is true. Um, and the last one, and this is a real doozy of a do Vorschach or don't Vorschach. Uh, this is the weird one. He apprenticed as a butcher and would often plunge his hands into the entrails of a slaughtered animal to heal his ailments. Who doesn't do that? Thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that has to be someone else. We got, uh, let's see here, Ksenia and Caleb on team do Vorjak and Carly and Reina on team don't Vorjak. And that one is a trick question because I actually combined two facts. So Dvorak did apprentice as a butcher. Um, let's see here, uh, at age 13, he was actually inducted into the Butcher's Guild of Zlanis. But the second part about plunging his hands into the entrails of a slaughtered animal to heal his ailments, that was Robert Schumann. Weird. Wow. <laughs> if you'll recall, wow. Schumann was the one I think Carly reported on the, the finger stretching device that ended up injuring him. So I guess yes, that's yes. Uh, you, after you injure your fingers, you go straight into the entrails. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> well, we don't lack weirdos in composers, do we? Yep. I was afraid when I was when I was finding these that someone else might have come across these in their their weird re weird research. <laughs> Imagine all the weird facts we're gonna know in about a year. <laughs> right. I'm just mad about the trick question. I hope Carly knows how to edit because that was bull. Who? <laughs> 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 I, I wasn't keeping track. Who? Hold up. How many fingers? How many did you get right? Do you remember? I got. I think. One. I think Raina won. My, minus the last one. Were there five of There are five, yeah. I think I got three or four. I think, I think, yeah, I think the everyone but Carly, I think, had three. I could be wrong, though. I think I lost. We'll I think that much tapes. we can agree on. It's not about <laughs> who won, it's about who lost, and Carly lost. Could we <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. Well, I guess I guess I'll host this episode then. Yeah. So anyway, it was it was fun to meet you, Reina, for just a second. Uh, I got a, like a really sore wrist, so I gotta go plunge my hands in some animal entrails. But you guys have a good episode and I'll talk to you later. <laughs> so what was that pigeon? thing pigeon chase uh, apparently he oh, uh he got into raising pigeons that's all that's why interesting <laughs> nice all right I, I was thinking pigeons do pretty well on their own <laughs> that's true well thank you ben that was fun as always although i think we got to workshop your uh your your history game names maybe <laughs> I'm not sure about don't worship. Do yeah. <laughs> well, without further ado, I am very happy to introduce today's guest, Reina Liz Herrera. Reina is a percussionist, composer, and educator originally from Mexico. She's now based in Boston, Massachusetts. She's the director, composer, and a performer in her theatrical percussion company called Ideas Not Theories which combines music for unconventional instruments like bicycles with physical theater. Ideas Not Theories has been performed in the US, in Canada, in Mexico, um, and in venues and festivals, including the New York International Fringe, Fringe Festival, uh, the NYU COSA HLAG Day of Percussion New York. Is that right? What's HLAG? Heat like a girl. Hit like a girl. Great. I'm glad I asked. Um, <laughs> National Arts Center of Canada, the Outside the Box Festival, Boston Children's Muse Museum, and the Brooklyn Children's Museum, just to name a few. Uh, Reina's performed in the US, in Canada, in Cuba, in Spain, in Germany, in Italy. She's performed with the National Arts Center Orchestra of Canada, the Ottawa Symphony, the Boston Opera Collaborative, Flamenco Boston, and many more. And she's collaborated with so many high-profile artists, including Bob Becker, Evelyn Glennie, Pinkas Zuckerman, Gunther Schuller, Marcus Santos, Ian Bernard, and Maria Finkelmeyer. Um, she teaches at the Hamilton Garrett Music and Arts Academy and the Boston School of Music Arts, um, holds a Bachelor of Music degree from the University of Ottawa, where she studied with Professor Ian Bernard, who was a former solo timpanist of the National Arts Center Orchestra, and she has a Master's in Music in Percussion Performance from the Boston Conservatory, where she studied with Nancy Zeltzman, Sam Solomon, John Grimes, and Keith Aleo, and where I know her from, because we go way back to those Boko days, and uh, Raina, just as a little icebreaker here, I wanted to share 
a photo from one of my favorite performing memories at Boko. Yes. There it I is. <laughs> there we are. It's a little blurry, but there's there's Raina and there I am. We're in the pit. Um, we were doing Sweeney Todd back in maybe 2010. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Uh -huh. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it was super fun. I think I think that was the first time I did a musical that wasn't like a high school musical. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I still remember some things like the the knock on the door with the bass drum and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nancy took that photo, as far as I remember. Oh, I was just thinking about that. I didn't remember that, but it makes sense. And that was probably probably in the day of um, grainy cell phone cameras. <laughs> little flip phones <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing yeah actual cameras like let me take my actual camera right right it's a separate device <laughs> yeah well Rita, i thought we would start by talking about ideas not theories because it's been such a big part of your creative work over the last 10 years or so um would you tell us about it and how everything got started with ideas not theories yes so um so I'll explain what it is and all of that, then I'll tell you how it, I started it. So Ideas Not Theories is basically, um, like you said, a theatrical percussion company for unconventional instruments like bicycles. And I offer um, and perform different programs featuring the bicycle in different ways uh, in each of the different programs. Um, and just to name a few of the uh, different shows that I do is, for example, Ideas Not Theories Full Stage Show, where I combine not just bicycles, but tap and motor percussion, water, brushes, sprayers. One day I did a, use a boat as a musical instrument, um, snare drum, and also more traditional instruments like marimbas and drums. And all of these combined with storyline, physical theater, original characters, and so on. But then other uh, of the programs are a little bit different, like bicycle rock band, where I use the bicycles in more of like the rock band setting and instrumentation. So here I use write music for three bicycles and a guitar and sometimes a bass. Um, then I have uh, my newest program, which is by Concerto, a Concerto for Soul Bicycle and Orchestra. So there I use the bicycle in the orchestral set, uh, solo orchestral setting, um, concerto setting, um, using another different way. Then I have a solo, a bicycle orchestra, which more la larger scale with like six bicycles on stage and so on. Um, combine this with physical theater, as I said. And yeah, so that's what Ideas Not Theories is. And I've been doing this for about 10 years now, which is kind of crazy. And um, so the way it kind of started, so it's kind of a lo long story, um, I had just finished my master's at the Boston Conservatory and I was kind of like in a um, crossroads. So I, I was uh, kind of frustrated uh, about, I, I wasn't feeling good about like, I don't know, because most of my background was classical and orchestral and I wasn't feeling happy with that. And um, so I was kind of trying to think like, what I wanted to do with music and, and sort of like find my voice and, and try to find like more like, uh, again, the happiness I had when I first started playing. Um, and so I went through like that internal search and kind of like tried to find where, where um, what is me in music? Like, how can I express myself the best way? And, and basically that. And uh, so I, I went back a lot to like, um, these themes came out a lot of like trying, to, wanting to do something theatrical, uh, especially because that was a lot of my initial background because my mom is a former uh, modern dancer. So I grew up with all of that like stage setting kind of thing and played with her a lot when I was growing up um, in different modern dance productions. So I grew up with that and I wanted to kind of regain that because I knew I liked it back then and also more of like the creative side which was um well writing music and kind of like combine all of that together um and yeah so all of that was happening at the time also at that same time was the first time I started like exploring experimenting with the bicycles and started writing 
pieces for bicycle and then kind of it all came together when um around that time so i'm originally from mexico and a colleague from mexico was putting together a festival there and asked me if i wanted to perform and then he asked me like uh okay well you have to perform pieces by mexican composers can you do that and i was like can i perform my own music <laughs> and he said like yeah so that kind of like was an opportunity for me to put what i mean what i was trying to uh do at the time to put together and present it for the first time and then i kind of like felt like i found what i was trying to do back then and went from there that was kind of like the first uh program let's say that i created and then i made it more theatrical and then started coming up with the other programs and kind of like went really obsessively into the bicycle also uh as kind of like a theme that comes up there and yeah so that's basically what happened <laughs> i was gonna say uh if anyone like like me when i heard like music for bicycle i was like what <laughs> um there's a uh there's a video on vimeo it's about 30 minutes long and it's like an interview with some um segments of the show mixed in of ideas not theories um and it's it's so fun hearing you talk about like finding finding the joy in your music because like there's this clip at the end and it's like some keyboard instruments and people in like kind of funky costumes <laughs> and like yeah it's there's just so much so much joy apparent in it so thanks so much thank you yeah so I just realized that I've heard some of your music before and worked with some of it. Um, mm -hmm. Trace to Trace para Trace. Yes. Three, three for three. Mm -hmm. We did that at JMU a long time ago. Um, I just put two and two together. But that's a great piece. That's a that's a really cool Thank you. ensemble. Um, but in terms of the bicycle, do you have, did you have to come up with, say, your own, you know, drum key for the bicycle? You know, like for drum set or for any multi-piece, we have our own key that we do every time. But have you kind of, it sounds funny to say out loud, have you standardized bicycle notation? Well, usually for a bike, you use a wrench. Well, yeah, oh. coming out of the, out of the call. Yeah. yeah, so basically, um, yeah, I had to like, well, do my own notation stuff for for the different sounds, kind of like for it. It's been kind of evolving because I, along the way, I found some other sounds that I didn't use before and stuff like that. So every time I can add more sounds. But since the beginning, I my first approach when I was gonna start writing the first piece uh, I did for bicycle was to kind of like explore all the different sounds that I thought sounded good and kind of catalog them. And then in like, I don't know, this one is high pitch, lower pitch, uh, medium range and stuff, and figure out how I'm gonna uh, convey that through the music. So creating like the different symbols for like the different sounds and um, yeah, uh, the notation in order to be able to write it. Write the music, yeah. Now a silly question. When you're riding for multiple bikes, um, do you find that similar bikes or bikes have the same timbre per design? Like the cross piece where the seat is, is it always the high pitch and the crossbar below is always low? Or is it does it vary based on bike? Right. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So it's kind of both both things. So uh you find that some sounds found very similar in all the bikes, but then they also, within the sounding similar, kind of vary. So, for example, um, the chain wheel. Like, I don't know if you know what the chain wheel is, but it's um, the little disc that's attached to the pedal. That one is really cool because it's super resonant if you take the chains out. And it's almost like a bell sound. And it's going to sound kind of like a bell in most bikes but it sounds different, like a different bell. And some are more resonant than others because they are made of different materials and stuff. And also like the frame of the bicycle is like, offers a lot of uh, very resonant sounds, but they sound different depending on the material the bicycle is made. So 
for example if it's like aluminum it sounds tends to sound very more like metallic and just sort of rhythmic versus if it's uh made of steel usually it sounds more melodic and sometimes you can even find like different intervals like between two of the the tubes from the frame so it's kind of like yes and no and also like the tires if you have a i don't know one of those giant bikes like the ones they used to do making like can they look kind of like 60s sort of old and have like the huge uh handlebars i don't know if you know what i'm talking about so the wheels there are huge and so like they sound a lot more resonant for example than a road bike but yeah so they sound like a tire but some sound more resonant and lower um in yeah low, more basic so are those called cruisers for our American native speaker friends? Because bike parts are not my my thing. Are those called cruisers? Those bikes with? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. should know. Yeah, hybrid cruisers or something. But yeah, cruisers. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I guess it's not so different from maybe a composer writing for like four toms or gongs or cymbals, like every set of instruments that a performer chooses are going to sound a little different, respond a little different. Yeah. Um, right. And I always think with, so a, with a found instrument anyway, the whole point is that like it's not standardized. Right. Break drums. Right. But the, now that I think about it also, like now that you ask about that, I'm thinking, so sometimes, for example, in the when I do the bicycle rock band and also the uh, one of the bicycle like with three bicycles, I do use kind of like one of the bikes more of like the base or more more like where I use more of like the lower ranges and one is more like the soprano which has more where I use more of the higher ranges and then one that's like in the middle range. So. And this is because, yeah, some bikes are bigger and some lower in range and some are, some are offer more like high pitch sounds. So I don't know, it's like both things, I guess. Cool. Um, maybe this is a silly question, but you know, reading your bio and seeing that you studied with Nancy Selsman, I would have never guessed that you would become, you know, <laughs> bike would be your like chosen medium. <laughs> Um, so where where did this come from, and why didn't you pick a Lamborghini? Because I think the the sort of the sponsorship that you could get there would be uh, higher paid. Or, a little bolder. Where did this come like, from? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I guess like me choose like doing the bicycle is kind of like in a way it's kind of random why I picked the bike, but also just like my personality and the fact that I always like experimenting with found objects and, and theater and, and things like that. And I that kind of goes back to like when I started, like I was saying, like growing up with my mom and as a dance in the dance company and I wrote some music for her and stuff. But also like I think like at the Boston Conservatory, I found like they were very supportive too in like kind of like helping students find their own thing. So maybe the bicycle itself wasn't much of like Boston Conservatory likes bicycles and things like that, but it's more of like find your own thing. When I have that change into I'm going to do this now, like bicycles and theatrical percussion and all that, before I, like I said, I was kind of frustrated. I wasn't feeling like I was expressing myself much uh, in the orchestral percussion world, but towards the end of my uh, master's, Actually, when I put together my recital, I was like, oh, I'm going to play this piece I wrote a while ago and I'm going to combine the because I took a tap dance class at the conservatory and I was like, I'm going to combine it with body percussion and I'm going to do it in my recital and blah, blah, blah. So towards the end, I started to feel like more free and in that sense. And that was kind of like inspiring to pursue that. Um, feel free to pursue that, you know, like it doesn't have to be this way or this way or this way. So. Side note, you mentioned tap dance. Did you guys know that Steve Gadd, Buddy Rich, Mel Lewis, and Mike Mineri all trained in tap dance? I knew about Steve Gadd. So did yeah. I. If you, you if you go online, you can find at, at, at least three of those you can find videos of on YouTube. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Carly gets extra points is no longer the loser of the game. <laughs> okay. 
bonus points for being a dorky tap dance kid. <laughs> so you grew up doing tap dancing? Then, yeah. Wait, Car what? How did I not know this, Carly? <laughs> How did you not know this? <laughs> you never tap danced in Miami. I did not do. I I did not do it post high school. Um, but I loved it. I I started as like a normal little ballet kid and got into modern and jazz and kid just kept going with tap. I can do that. Awkward no wonder so graceful couple. on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Caleb. What? Said I can do that awkward middle school shuffle, if that counts, where you hold your partner and just waddle in a circle side by side. <laughs> You're doing better than me, man. For those of you who are not watching on YouTube, Caleb just gave us a little demonstration in his office. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth, worth checking out the YouTube for. <laughs> Well, Raina, I, I want to talk more about um, kind of finding your voice and establishing yourself as an as an artist in Boston. But before we leave um, ideas, not theories and your experience writing this, I'm wondering what what was it like preparing for the first show? Um, you know how like I guess how much was notated? How did you find the right crew of people to um, to work with? And how did you communicate? Like, was the whole show written out? Did you work together to write it? Tell us about that. Right. Uh, so talking about the very first time, um, yeah, so I wrote the whole, like I notated the whole thing. I kind of, some of the, the um, so right now, that was for the full stage show, which is one of the programs. For that, at the moment, I kind of put together some older pieces with some newer pieces, with some pieces I never done before, and kind of like did it as like, wanted to as like one big piece. Let's put it that way. And uh, so, yeah, like the piece I had, I kind of updated the notation and the new piece I had to write the notation and kind of like did a, put it all together like with a score and a script for the instructions for the theatrical part. And basically, so yeah, for the very first time I did it, um, so I had to, well, the, I think the festival helped me find some uh, the performers for that, but also really I knew people growing up there and starting there, going there at the conservatory before I came here. And um, so I gave them the music and, and then obviously in during the, the rehearsals, I had to like, they had some questions, had to clarify some things and went over with them about what I want in terms of the theatrical stuff. But back then the theatrical uh, element wasn't very developed. So it became more tr more um, trickier or different later on when I uh, wanted to go a little further with the theatrical element, which was when I kind of like wrote this, the script or theatrical instructions more like in detail and came up with kind of sort of like a little method of how to add, how to make per, the percussionists who, who sometimes had nothing, like n n never did theater or anything like that, to kind of like convey that to them and, and make them um, get that out of them in, in a few rehearsals. And so like I came up with some um, uh, plan let's say. So like doing theater games and things like that. And then just like expressing what I wanted and doing some exercise and, and um, for, for the theatrical scenes. And it kind of came out like that. And sometimes, especially in the theatrical uh, interludes, uh, we get to play a little bit and be um, more creative with the um, scenes and what they want to do and stuff. But yeah, it's been kind of a process, I guess, in that term sense. It's funny, this is maybe not the exact third in a row, but this is the third episode of recent memory that I have that the, um, the concept of the actor percussionist has come up. And I think, I think it's really cool that that's becoming more seriously ingrained in, in kind of what we do. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome. Yeah. 
So Rena, you also serve as, uh, well, obviously the composer, you're the director and you're also a performer in the Ideas Not Theory shows. Um, what's it been like for you to take on these different roles within one production and how do you balance the responsibilities? Yeah, so I, I was thinking about that and it's been kind of like a learning process because I mean, at the beginning I kind of, I mean, for some of the roles I kind of had to do it, like especially more like production and stuff. And I just kind of like went for it and learned on the, on the, by doing it. So kind of like troubleshooting stuff. And yeah, I was going to say for me, it's not as like the balance between composing, um, directing and performing is not the challenge as much because it's, it happens at different times. So for example, composing happens way before then, uh, directing is more like in the rehearsals kind of like preparation and performing well in, in the performances but what's been the challenge for me mostly it's been more like the producing versus uh directing versus performing because all of those things happen pretty much at the same time and um and like th doing things like uh publicity stuff all of that happens like right before a performance so that's been challenging that's been the most most challenging i think um so yeah like for example sometimes i wearing the producer hat up until like five minutes before a performance <laughs> like that i have to be ready okay now i'm gonna perform because you are there like seeing what's needed and stuff you know uh for the in preparation for the performances but yeah, I mean, something I learned is like what to expect in in each process and and how to plan better for what I'm expecting um, and and more like compartmentalize and, and separate each thing so I can be more prepared when the time comes because I know everything's going to happen at once. And yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I um, like I, something I've been wanting to do is kind of like have a production assistant so I don't, especially for like the performances dates or like the week of the performances, I'm just focusing on like the artistic side, like, you know, like the performing and maybe some directing, but not, oh, we need a mic or this broke, we need to fix it, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, it's been a process, I guess. Yeah, producing is really exciting and really so much hell, especially if you need to also play. It's it's, yeah. it's a wonderful slash horrible idea, um, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, a question, is this a um, 100% of what you do, sort of asking for our friends who want to venture out into something that is more of them carving out their own way? Because you did not have a lot of performers who did this uh, that you could look up to. So there are people who go out and play with Stomp and you know they go on tour and that is the majority of their income for at least that uh, time. How about what you do? Is this something that is uh, the majority of, of your life or do you supplement it with other things? How does it work? Yeah, um, so let's say this is kind of like my music creative passion and it's like what i try to focus my performing and my composing on so um the outlet for that and performing wise is and composing wise is what i like i said like what i try to focus on mostly what i do uh besides this um i teach also and i sometimes i freelance on the side so yeah right good to know <laughs> also, speaking of speaking of finding your path and creating, carving out a career for yourself, um, like we talked about before, I, I think Boston Conservatory too is a, a really supportive environment for helping people find their voice. And there's, um, I mean, there of course there are people there that follow the orchestral path or chamber music path or clear paths that are already um, already created. But I guess what what advice do you have for people who are trying to find their way, who are trying to find out what what am I excited about? What what's my calling in the music world? Yeah. Um, well, I will say two things, and this is obviously based on my experience because everybody's different, and you know what I mean, have different needs and all of that. 
But um, for me, I feel like what worked was to find, um, to kind of be truthful to myself to what makes me, gives me a, gave me a sense of purpose and, and kind of like um, felt good and felt authentic. And that gave me sort of like the drive to be persistent and um, try to be, try to persevere and in, in doing that. So it was almost like, a, it was like a commitment with myself. Like I, I agree with myself, I wanna do this, so I'm gonna do it no matter what. Cause uh, you, I don't know if that makes sense, but, uh, and then from there, I obviously like I, I mean, I've had before I've had like some like professional experiences in the sense that I, I perform with like other professional ensembles and stuff, but I, I don't, I never kind of like, I never embarked in sort of like entrepreneurship sense of, of things. So it was a lot of like, like I said, learning as I went and figure out what's my scene, how do I book performances? Like, you know what I mean? So. It, it, yeah, it was, for me, it was almost like a, just go for it and, and, and find out how to do things <laughs> and learn from it in, in that sense of like making a sort of a career of, out of it. So what I would say is if you really want to, the advice is if you really want to do something, uh, don't kind of like, don't be afraid that you don't know everything about that thing yet and you you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out or you don't know uh oh i'm not good in business so i have no idea how to book a gig like don't be afraid that not like everything is not carved out perfectly perfectly yet when you start so it's kind of like a process and trust the process if you really want to do whatever you want to do so I've always felt like you're a little bit, not a little bit, but kind of fearless, but did it feel scary for you in the beginning when you were kind of, kind of forging this path? Um, I wouldn't, I would say more like exciting. It, it was, I guess it was more like, um, how do you say, once I found what I wanted to do it was like great uh, like like I I had this drive maybe it was more scary before knowing uh like like you know what I mean like knowing what's kind of like what's my voice what like can I find something that's like authentic and yeah it was more scary before that moment but once I felt like, oh, yeah, I, I'm feeling this. This is kind of like uh, what I want to do. And, and it, it kind of um, makes sense to me and, and all of that. It was more like excitement. But obviously, there is always, yeah, fear and stuff. Like in the whole process to like, oh, um, you sometimes get down. And sometimes, I don't know, you feel like just like in every path you know so but yeah i don't know yeah i think sometimes it's easy to to see um you know like i've seen i've followed you on social media for all these years and see you doing such awesome things and i don't see the hard parts and i don't see the parts where you're like i don't know if this is gonna work or <laughs> Um, you know, like getting getting everything together. We just see like, oh, Raina's doing another show or oh, she was on, I think I saw you were on um, like the local news in Boston or all these articles have been um, written about you and the work that you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just like just like you and, and all of you. I mean, yeah, we see all, everything that you're doing and I'm sure there is a lot that goes on obviously behind it, so. Yeah, the hard hard stuff. What's that? It's kind of a cheesy graphic, but one of those probably motivational posters that says like, it shows the iceberg and like the top is your success, and then all the like heartache and self doubt and hours of work and and all of that that goes into it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I wonder, where do you see ideas, not theories, going? Have you thought about it all? Um, 
you know, stepping back and maybe you become the performer and the composer and somebody else's director? Have you thought about um, allowing other people to kind of perform your work without you? Yeah, so, I mean, I want to get to a point in that sense, um, like delegating sense and stuff, of uh, having more people in the mix kind of with the production especially like production and, and publicity and just and focusing especially on on composing performing uh, maybe it's having uh maybe directing too i mean haven't thought much about the directing part um but uh in terms of like bringing someone in for that but yeah definitely for product production production and yeah but i'm kind of like it's that also has to do with like funding and where you're at with uh that so i, I think i'm getting closer to that um to having more people in in those to wear those hats so i can yeah not go crazy yeah <laughs> yeah it's so hard to especially as a performer i think um to have not to not be able to focus on your performance right before you know if you're handling yeah. just every, every other aspect I mean I feel that way sometimes even um doing chamber music with students I'm like I'm the teacher I'm the director of the ensemble mm -hmm. and I'm also playing my part and trying to <laughs> you know listen it and and it's so much more I'm sure when you're booking gigs and when you're you know dealing with publicity and all of that but um for for all as crazy as it might make you it seems like you're handling it really well <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm still alive here doing it, so I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're able to, to come on a podcast. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned this this new piece, the bike concerto, um, the, the concerto for solo bicycle and orchestra. Um, it, you wrote the whole thing? Yeah. What was that like? Have you written for full orchestra before? So I've, before that, I had written kind of like for strings and kind of like the different groups what i like a piece for strings a piece for um what was it bass and violin or something and like a piece for woodwinds and um yeah so i i guess i would say it was the first time i put together more of like an or orchestral piece like because it was is for strings and woodwinds um so yeah, and I did a lot of kind of like professional development for that to to get myself ready and research and stuff. So, but yeah, it was a process. I I had been wanting to do that for like five years before I did. So I I was able to do it last year, and it yeah, it was like five years in the make in the coming of like having the idea and wanting to do it. And then, luckily, last year, found um has funding from two grants here in Boston from the Boston Foundation, Foundation and the Somerville Arts Council. So then I was able to fund it and uh, composed it, composed it like last summer and then did the premiere last fall. And then I'm planning the next step is to do a studio recording of it in this summer and hopefully release it as an album in later. So kind of, I mean, in those, the pre-producing, part of that right now for the recording but congratulations I'd love to I'd love to hear it I hope you get a recording but even better I'd love to see it live someday yeah definitely yeah I was gonna yeah. say I I love a, a concerto for a weird instrument and I, I'm gonna add concerto for bicycle to my list of Mark Applebaum has concerto for florists in orchestra and there's the Andy Akiho piece Ricochet, which is for two table tennis players in orchestra, which is just like so, so wild. <laughs> Flor florist in orchestra, you said? Yeah, yeah, like flower arranger. He, and he tells the story on maybe his TED talk where he was sitting on a plane with someone and said, oh, what, what do you do for a living? And they said, I'm a florist. And he said, how, how would you feel about doing performance art? So <laughs> oh, cool. that's how it started. I love, <laughs> I love that one. So Rena, I saw that uh, Jew Percussion Group will be performing one of your compositions on their upcoming tour, which is super awesome. Congratulations. What are they going to be playing? 
Yes, so they are going to be playing my piece called Threads the Threads for a Threads, which is the one Caleb was talking about, which is a piece for two snare drums and a tom-tom, a trio, and basically the, I would say, the thing about that piece is I wrote it as like trying to explore all the different sounds I found on the snare drum. So you have like a notation of I don't know, 25 symbols of like different sounds to, to do in, in snare drums. And it's also kind of visual and a little bit theatrical. So yeah, that's the piece. I think that piece is so cool. I saw JMU's recording. I've seen your recording, um, probably from your recital in Boston. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to program it soon at Shenandoah. We're looking at it. It's, cool. it's super fun. Is there a place people can find that, Reina? For the Tres for Tres, uh, usually people just kind of like reach out to me via Facebook and stuff. All right. uh, I haven't put like a link or something. Maybe I should, but... We'll reach yeah. out to you via Facebook or something. Yeah, yeah. That's what's, what has happened. Yeah, either via Facebook or they find my email from Facebook or something, someone. Uh, <laughs> they just find you. Well, we get a, you've got a strong web presence with ideas, not theory. Yeah. Not theories, like the website. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, and the thing also, like I used to have, so right now I have a website for ideas, not theories, and I, I kind of like, um, that's my website that I use. But before, at the beginning, I don't know, like eight years ago, I had I, the idea of theories website and just kind of like a Reina Lee's website. And then I was everything, a, a lot of our Reina Lee's was ideas, not theories. So I just kind of kept the ideas, not theories. But thinking back, I will have put the trends, the trends piece or things that I do separately from ideas, not theories there. But yeah, no, I mean, it's something, yeah, I, I should do. Um, I think there's, there's a demand for it. My students um, brought it up to me like, hey, can we do this piece someday? <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, people people want it. Make it so easy for, to find. <laughs> or now find it on Facebook. No, <laughs> or just in my also my ideas material website, you can find my email and everything. So but yeah, let's say um more easier way to find it is coming up. Nice. <laughs> so is is that what happened with Jew Percussion Group? Did they just reach out to you and say, Hey, we'd love to perform this piece? Yeah. They, so I think they heard, so they heard it some, like, uh, I don't know if the JM, JMU recorded, recording, that what they heard, but they heard it um, somewhere. So they, I think they probably got my information from them or my whatever uh, contact information I have online. Um, but yeah. Yeah, nice. So. So Reina, what's what's coming up next for you? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, so I guess like uh, next sort of in the near future, I'm looking forward to the Biconcero recording, which is um, one of the yeah biggest projects that I have in the next months, and also some performances with the rest of my Ideas Not Theories programs, which I'll do in some museums and performance series um, in Boston and Salem, Massachusetts at the moment. Um, and more like future, future out there. I'm looking to kind of like, after I do the studio recording of Bike and Cheryl to kind of like start moving that around more and try to perform more either with kind of like my own company or and to partner with other orchestras to perform it and also keep hoping to tour more with the other ideas of theories programs because of covid the past two years there's been a lot of sort of online as you know and just being hard to move around so looking forward to that to the next years and have other ideas to develop new programs too, but they take a lot of time. So that's gonna happen eventually. Yeah, it's so it's so hard to still plan travel and know that everything's gonna go yeah. okay. But well, I, I think keep composing because I think you have so many just great ideas. Thank you. Look forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you.
Well, Reina, I noticed on your website that you have a, a quote from Pinchas Zuckerman, who, which is like quite an quite an honor. Could you tell us what performance he witnessed and like what was the context of that quote? Yeah, so I met Pinchas Zuckerman because so basically I lived in Canada before I came to the U.S. for like five years, and I ended up being there because so I did my my undergrad there at the University of Ottawa. And I ended up in Canada because, so Pinky Superman used to conduct the National Art Center Orchestra uh, in Canada, and they were on tour in Mexico, and they performed in kind of like my hometown, and they did a mass, like the, the members of the orchestra did master, master class in the conservatory that I started. So that's how I met Ian Bernard, which is the former timpani of the orchestra uh, with, with Pink and Zuckerman. And I played, well, he made me play for Pink and Zuckerman, uh, actually an Elliot Carter piece for timpani. And then uh, my former teacher, Ian Bernard, and Pink and Zuckerman heard it and they kind of invited me to go study in Ottawa after that. So. That's how I ended up in Ottawa. And then I performed a few times at the National Art Center, either a solo or sometimes with the orchestra and solo is some, a couple of times solo is with the orchestra. And yeah, that was sort of how all, the, all of that happened. Pinka Zuckerman, just dub that over. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> Yeah. You know what, Ben, I'm not, not going to edit it. I'm just going <laughs> to leave that awkward pause <laughs> and then you say his name again. <laughs> Don't edit it out. Ben uh, <laughs> leave it, leave it in, leave it in. Frankly, the, the Emil Richards, like if you make a mistake on a recording, don't like fess up to making the mistake. Just make the take unusable by like knocking a symbol over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's the way. Well, you have. A, yeah, I'm glad Ben asked that question because you have so many. There's so many, uh, you know, high-profile artists that you worked with. You worked with Bob Becker and Evelyn Glennie. Um, do you have any other stories you want to share with us about, you know, working with any of those folks? Uh, let's see. Let's see. Well, I mean, I might well say. So you were asking about like finding your path and stuff. So I was really inspired by um, me, like I like my desire or whatever to find my path. Uh, I think was in a way had, um, I don't think initiated, but had to do a little bit with um, Evelyn Glennie. Cause so when I was in Canada and I had, I was lucky enough to, to, to have the opportunity to play at the National Art Center. Um, and we shared, um, so we played in, in the same performance, like Evelyn Glennie and I and the orchestra. And and then I was, so I, I met her and we, we were talking and then um, I was asking her, so like, so I, what do you think? I don't know, of my performing or, or I actually it was my mom who asked, not <laughs> me. Cause we are all eating and you know, I don't know, my mom being in the performing arts, and she's really outgoing. I'm, I'm opposite, like if I don't know someone, I'm kind of shy. And she was just like trying to talk to her and she was like, so what do you think of right now? I'm like, oh, don't ask her. And then, <laughs> uh, but then she was like, I don't exactly what I remember everything she said, but she was kind of like, no, you know, it's good, but you gotta sort of find your own path, like your own voice basically like she said some i don't exactly remember this the words but it was very like whoa like like i like do something that's uniquely different and and it's yours or it's like i don't know it's authentically you or something and i i guess that resonated years later with me like because i didn't hear it or wanted to hear it back then like I just went and did the same thing back then, but um, I kind of kind of stayed there and came out later and and made a lot of sense. So 
but I don't know, that's another story about <laughs> those people. Oh, and then I, here's another cool story, I think. So I met uh, Steve Reich kind of randomly too, because, so, well, my relationship with Bob Becker was that I went to study with him while I was in Canada. I would kind of go, because he doesn't teach in universities. I don't know if he does now, but back then. So he did like private lessons. So I went and to Toronto and took lessons with him. And one night he was like, oh, do you want to come to the concert? We're going to play Steve Reich and he's going to be there and blah, blah, blah. And then I went and he was like, oh, they want to come to the cocktail party or something they had. And so I was like riding in the car with Steve Reich and Bob Becker and then Steve Reich, uh, Bob Becker gets out of the car and I'm just there with Steve Reich and he's like, hi, I'm Steve. I'm like, I know, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I felt awkward, but I don't know. That's kind of that of would be the response when he tries to be nice. <laughs> I'm Steve and you're like, uh, I know. <laughs> I was like, what? What was your name again? What? Sorry, I've never yeah. heard of you. <laughs> Who are you and why are you important? <laughs> Yeah. He's of minimal importance. Uh, Aww. Oh. Okay, look, like, where's our sad trombone? <laughs> so I was I was gonna say uh, first of all, I mean Evelyn Glennie is just one of the most wonderful human beings I've I've ever gotten to interact with, even for just a, a brief little bit. And uh Ksenia actually booked her for an episode a while back, which was super cool. Um mm. But I was going to say that uh, way back in, like before any of these other people were on this podcast, we did an episode with Elizabeth Galvan, and uh, she said that she met Evelyn Glennie, I think when she was in high school, and it was like after a concert, she went running up to her and was like, I want to be exactly like you. And mm -hmm. she said, Evelyn Glennie told her, no, you be exactly oh. like you, which I thought was yeah. like, it's basically what you said, but that's, that's so cool that uh, it's like yeah. one of those things, like, of course, like there's some hyperbole to that, but like, yeah, it's like you have to find your own voice. You can't just be Evelyn Glennie. Right. Yeah. And I Although think that was... would not be a bad thing to be Evelyn Glennie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that there's also yeah. that famous quote from Ravel, like Gershwin went to study with Ravel and Ravel, Ravel refused to teach him. He said, why would you want to be a second rate Ravel when you can be a first rate Gershwin? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And at, around the same time, I was also like, I want to be like Evelyn Glennie. Yeah, like, so, yeah. I'm so jealous. I didn't, I, I still have not met her in person. I heard her play and was awestruck when I was an undergrad, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, how amazing. And that she's just like, you do your thing, you be you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's rare that she hang, and this is no, no throwing up of the shade. She is amazing and I love her, but from what I've heard, whenever she hangs, like and does something with percussionists she's really sweet but she's in and out of rehearsal you don't get to share a meal with her so this is you should put that in your bio arena had dinner with evelyn glenny because that's rare <laughs> oh really so she's known she's known for like just like i think she's just the, the woman's too busy probably yeah. to go and do the oh, hangs yeah. but maybe maybe she did before or maybe i am just completely misinformed i do <laughs> apologize if that is true i do apologize but this is the first time that i've heard someone say that yeah. they actually got to share a meal with her so good for you this is this is not relevant to our discussion but i just had to share my my personal favorite evelyn glennie story that i i had was weirdly when i was like i think i was 16 no i think it was 15 because i couldn't even drive I played for her in a master class. I don't know how that worked out, but mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I saw her in a concert a few days later at George Mason University, and she did like the autograph line afterward. And uh, she she looked at me and she said, "Do you need a ride home?" <laughs> oh, really? Oh, sweet! Wow. Wait, she was gonna give you a ride home? No, she was joking. But <laughs> <laughs> how come you didn't ask her about that when we had her on? You didn't say, "Hey, do you remember me from when I was 15?" And you do asked you remember if you did a ride home when I played a rhythm song for you in a master class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, she's a really sweet person, like based on what I remember. Well, Raina, before we wrap up, um, would you tell us where can people f uh, follow you and find out more about your work? 
Yes, so you can find out online at my website, which is ideasnottheories.com or in social media on Facebook, my Ideas Not Theories page, which is Ideas Not Theories by Reynolds, or on Twitter, which is Ideas No Theories, or on Instagram, Ideas Not Theories. And usually all my contact information is there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so good to reconnect with you and hear about all the amazing work that you're doing. And I hope I get to hear you play live soon. I know. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it's great to talk to all, all of you today. All right. Bye.